Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Hello. I'm your Marketers in Motion podcast host, Josh Janowiak. Megan was going to join, but due to the nature of this evolving coronavirus pandemic, she was uh, not able to join us at the last minute. So we will miss her on this conversation, but we have a great topic today, crisis communication. As marketers, we understand branding communication and brand storytelling, but what happens when the landscape changes and we're faced with a crisis? How do we shift our voice and tone from our normal day-to-day communication while maintaining our consistent brand and image. The coronavirus is not just your average crisis, it's a global pandemic. As the outbreak unfolded before our eyes, we were transformed from brand storytellers to the calming voice of reason and guidance for our organizations, coworkers, clients, customers, and followers. As the pandemic evolves, how can we continue being brand ambassadors while also balancing that delivery of important news and updates in an understanding and empathetic manner? We have two great guests joining us today from the West Michigan Public Relations Society. First, we'd like to introduce Amanda St. Pierre. She's the Director of Advancement Communications at Aquinas College. She's worked in PR and marketing since 2004, primarily serving healthcare and community philanthropy organizations. Amanda earned accreditation of public relations from the Public Relations Society of America in 2012. She's the current board chair of PRSA's West Michigan chapter and is a former co-chair of the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network of Grand Rapids. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much, Josh. I'm excited to be here today. Yes, and also from the West Michigan PRSA board, Kim Skeltis, APR, owns Blue Blaze Public Relations, a solo public relations consultancy in West Michigan, offering a full spectrum of public relations services from strategic planning and strategy development to tactical implementation. Accredited in public relations through the Public Relations Society of America, Kim brings 20 plus years of communications expertise serving organizations from nonprofits to corporations to government agencies. A veteran of the agency world, she offers the collective experience of working at two global PR agencies, plus a boutique firm in addition to her seven years of owning Blue Blaze PR. Welcome, Kim. Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you guys here. Before we start the conversation, I do want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, our new podcast sponsor, River City Studios. Although we're not recording there today, we are practicing our social distancing and keeping our community safe. They've been great at helping us in person and with virtual recordings. River City Studios offers recording, mixing, and mastering for podcasts, TV, film, radio, and musicians. Check them out online at rivercitystudios.com. Also, thanks to our sponsors that support our programming year-round. Gold sponsors, MIBiz and VizCon Media, Silver Sponsors, PageWorks, Burden Bird Studio, and Red 66 Marketing. Bronze Sponsors, OFA and Grand Valley State University Conference and Event Planning. Well, so good to have West Michigan PRSA here with us. And let's start a little conversation about uh, West Michigan PRSA and the AMA, because there's a lot of crossover with our organizations. And I do believe that uh, we even have the ability to attend each other's events 
for the membership discount. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the West Michigan PRSA and uh, your and Kim's involvement there. Sure, sure. So WMPRSA is um, the West Michigan chapter organization of the Public Relations Society of America. We're an organization with uh, about 110 uh, local public relations professionals. And really, we serve um, the entire west side of Michigan, from the Upper Peninsula down to um, you know the bottom of the mitten there. And how long have you been involved with the PRSA? So this is my first time serving on the board. I am, I've been involved for three years. I've been a member, though, of this chapter since, uh, I guess, 2006, actually. And Kim, how about yourself? Yeah, I've been a member, I think, since around 2013, maybe, of this chapter. And uh, But I my membership started in 94. I go way back. <laughs> I, I joined right out of college. I was a, a student member at Central Michigan University and PRSSA, and then I just went right into the kind of the adult grown-up chapter. So it was a, it was a good springboard. So it's always served me well throughout my career. Wherever I've lived, I have joined the local PRSA chapter. Yeah, I mean, like like the AMA. I mean, the, the networking is is just unbelievable. And and Kim, I have to give a, a shout out to you because when I when I first moved to Grand Rapids, I, I had I did some networking with some friends back in Ludington where we both lived previously and, and somebody yeah, put yeah. me in touch with you. I was, we were relocated for um, my wife's job. I was job seeking and uh, you reached out to me. We connected. I attended many PRSA events with you. Um, also yeah. got involved in the local AMA. And uh, honestly, I mean, I, I love that being a member of one, we can attend the other events as well because I've, I've bounced back and forth and there's mm -hmm. so much crossover. I mean, there's a lot of great content on both. I mean, I do notice that PRSA, I mean, you cover more, uh, lean more towards some of the media relations and, um, and public relations and AMA a little more on the marketing branding side. But again, there's, there's a lot of crossover. So I guess my first question, if there is a difference between AMA and marketing and PRSA and, and PR, what are the differences? I see the core essence of public relations as a, as a practice is about influencing, engaging, and building relationships with our audiences um, to basically contribute to the way an organization is perceived. So it may actually have nothing to do with selling a product or service. It, it's more about building a reputation. Um, whereas marketing typically, not always, but it tends to promote more an organization's products or services with the idea of, of sort of a selling or call to action. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of how I see the two, but there's certainly a lot of crossover. But yeah, I'd love to hear what Amanda thinks too. <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think that's a really great setup, Kim. You know, and it's actually kind of funny in my experience since you know working in the field since two thousand four. Um, again, primarily working in nonprofit organizations in those places, we don't have huge PR and marketing departments. So I've oh, my title has always been in the PR and marketing vein with the two together because there is so much crossover, especially for smaller organizations. Um, from my perspective, I completely agree with Kim. I would say PR is um, about establishing, building, maintaining relationships between an organization and all of its its audiences, its relationship focus, where I would think marketing is probably maybe a little more transaction focused. Um, but we all have goals. We're all working with specific audiences. We're all strategic and measurable. 
And I think when I was attending both and going back and forth to AMA and PRSA events, I did pick up on that, that community relations and specifically for me, which I'm really thrown into, not just me, but we right now is, is crisis communication. And when it comes to brand reputation, I mean, we've heard so many things with even a lot of organizations over the last few years and a lot of instances where there are, are lawsuits and there are problems going on with some of these big organizations. So how do we manage our brand? How do we manage with the community? And how do we how do we essentially communicate when things aren't going great in our, our normal day to day? So that's where, in my mind, I kind of really see that PR quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So with the yeah. with the local PRSA chapter, I know with the AMA, unfortunately, we canceled our April and our May lunches, where I assume you guys are probably in the same boat, huh? Yeah, we are. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, canceled our April and May um, regular programming events. And the bummer, real bummer for us is also canceling our annual proof awards, which was slated for uh, early in June. It's one of our biggest events each year, but the health of everyone just just matters more. And also it's, we all recognize it's not a great time for people to be filling out award nominations when there are just real things that we're all trying to work through right now. Are you guys off in the summer as well? Typically we do take the summer off this year. We are um, playing around the idea of having uh, some sort of summer social. Um, And we're again, just like everything else, it's wait and see what things look like later down the road. Yep. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I mean, that's the same boat we're in. It's, it's so frustrating to end our season now because we had two great speakers lined up and, and as you guys had mentioned with your awards to, to cancel something like that. But again, I think that's a boat that we're all in and with the, the evolution of the pandemic, I mean, we still have no idea the timeline for when there's going to be any sort of return to normalcy. So, with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about crisis communication, because everything that we know, everything that we've done so far in our normal day to day, that's that's all different. And now we're just trying to keep up. So let's just talk about some of the basics of crisis communication and things that we should be focusing on right now. Sure. I, I'd be happy to start with this. So when I think about crisis communications, there are three things come to mind, and I wish I had some creative alliteration. Um, but we're you know three weeks into this and I'm my brain's kind of spent right now. So preparedness, um, empathy, and facts are three things that, for from my perspective, are super important. Most organizations have some sort of crisis plan in place. I think that's that nothing revolutionary there. I don't know that our crisis plans included. Um, stay-at-home orders and shutdowns to the extent that we're all living right now. (laughs) Um, But as PR people, we are always looking out, looking forward, um, looking to identify what are the opportunities and and threats on the horizon. So I think we're really kind of well-positioned in this place, but I would say that it's put our best crisis plans to the test um, and has been kind of an, an exercise in resiliency recently. Um, the second one being empathy. I think that it's so, you know, PR is about relationships. I said that earlier. Um, we have to consider each and every target audience and what they're experiencing right now. Um, I've seen a lot of organizations recently where, especially early on in this, where it's it's really easy to come across as being completely tone deaf. 
Um, automated messages were pretty obvious <laughs> in, in mid-March. <laughs> um, so, you know, what are pe- where are people? What are they dealing with? What's resonating and what's not? And how can we um, really approach people from a human perspective with empathy? And then uh, facts, you know, anything we need to make sure that we're being open, honest, transparent, getting the facts straight before we put a message out um, and respond too quickly. Kim, I would love to hear what you have to add to that. Yeah, no, that those are great. Three great summary words to sort of um, frame up, you know, the basics. The other thing I was thinking about is just a lot of this comes down to planning. And while you are so right, I'm sure most of our crisis plans on the shelf did not have a pandemic chapter. We probably, most of us have some sort of process in place, or if we don't, maybe we've used it in a, in a, in a much less urgent need. But if you think about any kind of Um, outbound communication that a company or an organization has about any major announcement. It could be a CEO change. It could be um, a new product or um, an acquisition. There's usually a process in place that is so helpful when there's a crisis, especially of this magnitude that you, before we all panic, I mean, if we really stop and think, wait a minute, I need to put a plan together. Who are my audiences? What do each of them need to know? So kind of a, you know, you almost think of it like a, an organizational chart of audiences, messages. What are the channels that those audiences most likely need to hear this through? And what's your timeline? And, and then who is assigned to execute? So really getting organized as quickly as possible so that every day doesn't just become a panicked reaction. And granted, there's going to be a lot of that because things are changing so quickly. But I think if you can get ahead of it as best as possible with some kind of a structure, a communications process, it really helps when these things come down, um, whether from the CDC or at the state level, that we can kind of get those plans, you know, get, get our plans out and get cranking on how we get those messages out there. Yeah. And I think that's that's very important to note. And I, I'm sure all of the larger organizations have very structured communication plans in place. And I'm sure there's a lot of smaller organizations that may not have those in place and may be struggling to establish those now. I mean, I guess now is a good time as any. It would be better if it was done further in advance. But get your systems down now of who you communicate with, how information filters down throughout your organization. Can you speak to the importance of internal versus external communication and making sure that information is shared internally first so everybody at the organization is ambassadors and then can speak the same language and be on the same page when they're talking externally into the public how do, how does that all work you know i think you're you're 100 right the internal com more than ever before I, I mean i think that's one of the biggest parts of what pr and marketing professionals are spending their time on right now is letting their staff, letting their employees, letting their board members, whoever their internal audiences are, know what's going on first and foremost. But I think we have to also know that as soon as those internal folks know how it affects them, it's ultimately going to trickle out to external audiences. So kind of being ready, even before the internal audiences know your message, that you're ready for that kind of cascade of information to go out. So you're you're really sending things in sort of a cadence um, uh, because, you know, news travels just so quickly. Even if you, if you send an employee email communication, you can assume that that email will get forwarded to somebody's family member back home. And the next thing you know, the whole neighborhood knows. And the next, you know, so I think we always have to remember that the news just travels so fast. 
And I think to your point about ambassadors, um, that's a really good point because everybody's starting to speak. Anybody that knows someone that works in a health system, for example, all of a sudden, those people informally are becoming spokespeople, whether they plan to or not. So that's why it's so important to very clearly educate your internal um, audiences first of what the truth is. And also, if there is a process to follow, to make sure they know that, that, you know, we do have a process in place. If you're contacted by a reporter, this is how we handle that internally. We need you to alert our, you know, crisis communications department or our media liaison, um, but making sure that the staff and employees are, they are clearly um, informed of how the company wants to handle that outbound communication so that they don't, you know, add any misinformation out there or speak out of turn. Um, and we know that's going to happen anyway. So I think the more people are are educated, the better. No, I, th- I think you're right on. Um, it was, it's been really interesting um, to s- to see how how things like the term social distancing, how everyone uses that term now, you know, I think it's so so cool to think about how that didn't exist really, um, you know, in February I didn't say social distancing and now I say it on a daily basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right on. You know, we had uh, I, it was really cool to see our emergency management team working together, making decisions, sending them in real time to our community. Uh, through the communications channels, updating our website, and then it was live from there. It was a really streamlined process. Um, and it'd be, I also, I should mention, I'm new to Aquinas College, so I, I've been there, you know, five weeks now. <laughs> so, um, so it's been interesting to get to know people and to see them work together and come together around things like this. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. It's super important to come up with those. What are the key messages? Because it is. It, once it's out there, it's going to be shared. Let's talk about frequency <laughs> internally and externally. This is so unique because, again, we're all going through this together. It's not like it's just one organization that's impacted by this. So COVID and coronavirus information is trickling out from everybody to everybody. And of course, there's that burn. Everybody's saying, oh, I'm sick of hearing about this. I'm sick of seeing updates. So how can we balance that? And I'm, I'm sure it's probably unique for each organization, but as a general rule, are weekly updates sufficient for internal and external? Should we be in touch more internally and a little less externally? Or how do you guys budget that out? I think it really depends on on what's happening. You know, in those early days, a, a daily briefing for an internal audience was really wonderful because it, it made sure everyone felt kind of secure and um just in touch with what was happening. Now that we're kind of settled into this, a, a weekly touch base internally feels appropriate. And when it comes to communicating externally, I think the I think something is important, but I also think there's been so much noise and it's a real, um, our challenge is to approach it with perspective. You know, what do we have to say? How important is it? What value is it going to add to the audience? And really consider everything else that's going on um, and how it affects people before we just make a message because we need to say something. Yeah, I, I, I concur because I think that is exactly it. You can just overload people to the point that it's just all noise. It's like, oh, here comes another COVID-19 email. But I, I th- and I think it is. It is very dependent on the situation because, I mean, my answer is it depends on the situation, how it's changing as to when you communicate. You know, if if there's a 
um, a daily update, but it's just kind of saying, yep, we have more cases in Michigan. Yeah, it's still bad. Probably not worth spending the time on it. But if you're um, like, I'll give an example. I'm, I'm a part of a membership based organization for the travel tourism industry. So they have sent out daily COVID-19 industry alerts. Now, first, I thought this is kind of ridiculous. But as I read through them, I realized each alert was specifically reacting to a new piece of um, like a new um, statewide directive or order from the governor's office. And so they translated it into what this means for you and what this means for our industry. Now, that's very helpful. Um, small businesses are, I know the Chamber of Commerce, the General, the Grand Rapids Chamber is pumping out a lot of outbound emails, but it's to make sure their members know the ramifications for their individual businesses as as laws are changed and how do they get you know small business loans? How do they help their employees navigate unemployment? There's a lot of things that companies are going through for the first time and they're hungry for that information. So I think as long as it's it's relevant and it's it's answering an important question, then do it. But if it's just to be part of the noise, don't do it. I was listening to a podcast, uh, PR Nation. Um, a, we recently had Robert Johnson at one of our WMPRSA luncheons as a speaker, and he did a fantastic job. So I started following his podcast. Um, and he mentioned something last week about um, basically we're kind of thinking like like reporters, like newsrooms. So it's what is the news for the day? What is the information? How do we package it accurately and get it out as quickly as possible? And I thought that was so interesting because oftentimes it's media people entering um, the PR space and now it's kind of PR people and we're figuring out how to enter more of the media space and how we package and present our stories on a daily basis. And it's really made me appreciate (laughs) reporters. I mean, I always have, but how you have to think and react so quickly and consider so much in such a short amount of time. Um, I just thought that was an interesting point that he made. Yeah. And I, I would say the relevant in information as well is, is very important. And our, our good friends over at uh, Black Truck Media have posted some blogs that have been great resources of some do's and don'ts. And one of those was, I like how they worded it, not jumping on the regurgitation bandwagon. So as you guys said, we don't need to be sending more facts and more news news through our channels. I work at a campground recreational facility. So when we finally received directives from the governor on whether or not those public spaces or campgrounds were allowed to be open, that was an important update for our members, for our campers, for our community. So I think putting it through that filter is is very beneficial. The other thing that I kind of want to touch on too from a from a marketing perspective what kind of recommendations would you have as marketers were brand storytellers? So we're always trying to think of our brand and our image. And at this time, again, how can we balance keeping that brand, keeping that image, keeping our voice and our tone while also being informational and kind of putting everything through that that crisis filter? I think that we're all you know, taking the plan and scrapping it and reevaluating our strategy. Um, this is different and things aren't normal. And, and so I think we have to, we have to look at that and be kind of realistic about it. Um, I was on another, listening to another webinar this week and um, with Lynn Wester, donor relations guru, she's, she's quite funny and, and great. And she said, you know, until people until there's toilet paper on the shelves, this isn't normal. And you need to stop what you're doing and think about the humans. And 
Yeah, it's, it's true right now. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's, I, I work with a nonprofit and we were trying to figure out what to do. We knew our our um, operating income was going to drop significantly because they do a number of service-based trips that were all canceled. And we were working on a sponsorship letter to say, hey, please donate at this time. And all of a sudden we had to catch ourselves and say, gosh, the people receiving this letter may have lost their jobs. They, you know, Bad things are happening to everyone, not just nonprofits that, that rely on donations. So just really thinking through that filter of, yeah, people are hunting for toilet paper. That's their basic need right now. They may not be listening to our brand message. But that being said, I have seen some organizations. I think part of it is you have to just be really authentic and honest. And so the organizations I think that are doing it well are just sort of laying it out like, hey, this, this, these, this, is, this is a really difficult time and we miss you, our customers. And, you know, whether it's a restaurant showing pictures of what they're making in the back for takeout food or um, one of my favorite stores in Grand Rapids is Woosa, and they do a lot of screen printing of really awesome like outdoor gear. And they did an uh, amazing flash sale for their customers um, through Instagram, where they just basically said, we we treasure you as a customer. We we know you can't come in and shop. So to thank you for your business, we're doing half off all of our shirts. We're, you know, we'll deliver it to your house. You can do it all touch-free so that there's no issue of, you know, containment or, or, or um, virus. And it was brilliant. And everybody then started posting on Instagram their care packages from USA when they got their shirt in the mail um, with a handwritten note from the founder of the company. So I think the companies that do it right are just being themselves. They're being authentic. They're admitting that it's a hard time. They're adjusting their offerings a little bit, kind of in reaction to the market. And um, I, I think the people that follow them will appreciate that even more. Um, I have a couple of tourism clients where we're showing just really beautiful pictures like Michigan lakeshores and sunsets and saying, you know, this is never closed and it will be waiting for you when you when you get here, you know, and just doing what you can under the circumstances. Yeah, and that's yeah. I, that's a great point. Because um, one of the questions I did want to ask is, how do we handle our ongoing client and customer relations if we are in sales and we're selling products? Can we and should we be selling products and, and approaching people for those relationships right now? If so, how do we do that? And that's one thing that we've we've kind of looked at. We do some advertising and we have some partnerships that um, that we have at at our community. And we know that some of those small places, some of the small <laughs> restaurants are, are closing, are, are operating on unlimited hours. So we want to be able to help convey that message to our community. So if we can repost some of their stuff on social media, on Facebook, the nights that they are open, if they're open limited hours, how can we help you get the word out. And Kim, I, I love what you said about people just being authentic. I think that's the biggest thing. I I think it's great to to reinvent and just how how everything is done and 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 kind of watch how everything is unfolding on social media and just and and kind of adapt with that. Mm -hmm. And I think to look forward too. I mean, recognizing that this is now, but it won't be this way forever. What what's going to happen next? You know, what's the plan for later in the summer or later in the fall? And you know, we're just being nimble right now. In your experience or, or what you've kind of seen unfold, we kind of touched on this as well, but as far as the pandemic in, impacting marketing campaigns and sales and, and, and services, are, are you seeing any companies that are trying to go on as 
as normal? And are they having any success with that? Or is everybody just kind of scrapping everything that they kind of originally planned, holding off and just adjusting as they go? You know, I've, I think a lot of things have had to be canceled or postponed, but I have seen a few kind of creative retooling. Um, so for example, um, Gazelle Girl does a, you know, a big women's run this spring. And I think it's this month actually, and they obviously can't host a run, but they're making it a virtual experience instead to encourage people to still kind of register and pledge to run the length of time they would, or the, the distance they would have normally run as a group, but to do it individually. So I thought that was very creative because they're still promoting the, the spirit of their event, even though they can't post it as they normally would. So I've seen um, things like that that is, is creative, but I do think it's really, really hard to just barrel forward guns a blazing with your, with your, with your product, you know, marketing plan as though nothing has changed in the world because everything's changed. Maybe the, the only people that maybe can get away with that right now is Netflix. And even then they're probably changing their message to say, got a little bit of extra time at home, you know, make sure you sign up for Netflix or, or Zoom. I mean, who was even saying, I'm going to a Zoom meeting a month ago. I mean, my parents certainly weren't. And all of a sudden, it's now become like a generic term. And so that's they're getting incredible marketing by virtue of it being a product that everybody needs. And I think they've done some creative things to give people a little bit extra perks during this time. I mean, another example where I thought they were spot on. Um, and I'm not, I don't get paid for any of these companies, so I'm not giving personal but like MVP Sportsplex is a huge gym, you know, in, in the Grand Rapids area and nobody can go to the gym anymore. They decided to give their members um, free access to an online series um, of workouts that normally you pay a monthly subscription fee for. And they have given it to members um, for two months free. And they're also not charging their members for the gym because we can't go um, until the gym reopens. And I thought, what an incredible gesture. It wasn't a lot. I mean, they are giving us something extra so that we continue to work out. And that will build so much goodwill that when this pandemic passes, you can bet I'm not going to cancel my gym membership because I feel so good about the way they treated me and they were there for me when I needed them the most. And so that has, to me, they, they, that is really true brand um, ambassadorship is when you give someone maybe even a little extra in tough times, if you can do it. Yeah. And that kind of leads into my my next question. I, I did want to ask for some examples of organizations that are doing doing a great job right now, um, some that we can watch. I mean, we all have our brands that we follow and some people are big Disney fans and some people are big Starbucks fans. And they've always been able to be on the forefront of communication in, in different times um, in the past. But uh, I guess I'll ask you both. Amanda, I'll start with you. Is there anybody, whether it's local or even just national, who's doing a really great job and who could we all learn something by watching how they've adapted and, and what they're saying and doing these days? I think locally, I think Spectrum Health has done a really great job. They've put out some awesome videos. Um, I loved the email that was sent from their president just this week. I love that the email came from the president this week and not before because it was when I needed it. And it was when um, the messaging was most appropriate to align with the peak and all that kind of stuff. It showed that they weren't rushing to say something just to say something. Honestly, from my perspective, I've, I feel like I'm hearing from too many people that aren't adding value. And it's more, I have more examples of just being like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't, I don't need a challenge from you because life is already challenging. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I, I was going to mention Spectrum Health as well. They were on my list um, because I, I agree a hundred percent. They were really, um, they were very judicious with their communication, did not come out way early or too often, but it, when they come out and say something, it's very pointed and direct and it's from the top, which I, I think is really also very important to have the a video message from the CEO. Um, that's, that's exactly who you want to hear from. That's exactly who you want to position in a time like this, not necessarily a spokesperson that may or may not be actually in the C-suite. So I think that that was a very smart move on their part. Um, I have an example that I want to share that it's not what you would expect. It's actually using humor, which I think you have to be very careful about right mm-hmm. now. It's it, it can cut both ways. If you can do it well, it can be very powerful. But I would I would suggest um, anyone listening to go and follow the National Cowboy and Western Heritage uh, yeah. Museum. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's basically this museum in Oklahoma City, all about westerns and cowboys. And essentially, everyone has been laid off on the staff except the security guard, who has been deputized to also do their social media, which normally would be kind of scary (laughs) to think about. But it is the most endearing um, uh, social media experience. And it gives me such hope for the world and joy and laughs. And it's just this guy who calls himself Cowboy Tim. And he doesn't even know quite how to use hashtags. So he he actually spells out hashtag. He spells it out, and then, and then he started realizing he needed the hashtag symbol. So he does hashtag hashtag cowboy Tim. Um, but it's brilliant. It's light. It's um, folksy. But what's incredibly brilliant is he goes around the museum while he's there as a security guard. takes a takes a photo from his phone of whatever is in their collection. Tells a little story about it, like real facts, and then he'll make a little joke about, oh, those guys look like they'd be fun to hang out with, or whatever. And he's got, they now have like 84,000 Instagram followers, 90,000 Facebook followers from all over the world. And everybody's commenting in the comments saying, thank you, Cowboy Tim. You've just made my day. Uh, You make me laugh. You make me smile. It's brilliant. It's sheer brilliance. And I, I know that if everybody did that, it would take away from it. It would never work, but it just works in their case. And and I, they've stumbled upon gold as far as I'm concerned. That that is a super (laughs) great example. Uh, And I have enjoyed that. It has been very heartwarming and endearing. You know, one other example, and I don't know how, I wish I could remember how this even came to be for me. Um, I've never been to Houston, but the Houston Zoo is doing Facebook Lives almost, well, a couple times a week, it seems, um, about different animals within the zoo. And so it's a zookeeper and there's some education and that you can, my daughter loves it. I have a nine-year-old. She can chat directly with the zookeeper through questions and he responds in real time. And it's almost, it's been like kind of our science education um, on those days, to be honest. So it's taken something kind of fun and um, has added value and taken something off my plate, which has been awesome. Those those are those are great examples, and I do want to bring up the the humor aspect, Kim, because I I couldn't agree with you more that you have to be very careful, and it can if you do it right, it can work really well. But you, again, in times of crisis, it it can be um, it can be pretty bad if not used correctly yeah. or in the right context, yeah. and it's it's so hard to yes. to know when you put it out there, you yes. know how it might be perceived. Are there are there any other things? Because we talked a lot about the do's, but are there any glaring don'ts? Like just make sure to avoid these things in times of crisis communications. 
I, I think we've talked about some of them in, in reaction to what to do right is I say, don't just flood a communication channel for the sake of communicating. I mean, just because you see that another organization sends out a daily email doesn't mean you need to. I think it all comes down to, do you have something new and important and relevant to say to your audience? If you don't, then then just wait. And um, I think just don't be tone deaf and kind of run it through that gut check of, if this hits people right now, based on what they're dealing with, like, I don't have toilet paper, I don't have chicken, I have kids at home, and I don't know how to teach them in that crisis mode. Is this going to make them, is it going to make their life better? Or is it going to make them angry? And or, or just annoyed? I mean, to me, it's just like a simple litmus test. And don't send it if if you, I, I think it's better to just hold on your, especially blatant product pitches until this is far further along. I mean, I'm still getting emails from a women's clothing store that I subscribe to. And I'm thinking, I have nowhere to go to wear these clothes. Of course, I'm not going to buy your outfits right now. And I can't believe they're still sending me those emails. But, but <laughs> you know, they probably were set up a while ago in some kind of an automated, you know, distribution um, system. But, but I think we just have to really, really do that gut check of, is this, is this going to make somebody's life better? Um, right now, or is it just going to be in the noise or worse yet, make them annoyed? Yeah. And I know Amanda had mentioned that earlier too, is, is any of your marketing automation in your funnels and your communication that's going out. So Kim getting the emails of regular shirt ads and regular mm -hmm. products. I mean, this is a time you definitely want to look at all your email distribution lists, any marketing automation, if you have that kind of stuff set up. And I think it's also important too, that people update if they're closed now, if they're not the same hours, if they're closed, if they're limited hours to make sure you're updating all the places where that information is listed, your website, your Google, my business listing, um, Facebook, Yelp, social, depending on uh, if you're a restaurant and you're on Yelp and you're on Google reviews, I mean, you want to make sure that you update that information as well, because you never know where, where people are going to be looking for that. And, you know, Amanda, another thing that you had mentioned too, is just, again, our bandwidth right now for what we're working on, what we're focusing on, timelines for projects and, and follow up with people. We originally had this podcast recording scheduled for earlier this week, we had to reschedule. And then Megan had an urgent meeting that came up. I mean, she couldn't get out of it. So right now, I think we all just, we need to step back, take a breath and just kind of take it all as it, as it rolls in. Mm -hmm. I, I do want to mention as well, um, maybe we can talk about some, some tips about working from home and uh, then we can kind of wrap it up with some ending with why questions where we get to know a little bit about you guys. So uh, in, in your experience with your clients, assuming you're probably doing a lot of virtual meetings, do you guys have any advice for some do's and don'ts, some tips and tricks for being productive at home? You know, for me, it's been all about, about the schedule. Um, trying to just kind of keep some sort of regular routine. Uh, we are a household with two working parents and a single child who's used to being engaged in school all day. So having some sort of routine we can point to, it's nine o'clock, it's math time, um, helps us all be a little more successful during the day. Um, I honestly have felt really connected to my team during this time, which is kind of amazing, but we've been 
been doing regular uh, video chats and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's been really nice, actually. Um, and I feel like we've stayed pretty tight through that. Technology has um, saved the day for many of us, for sure. Yeah, I would just add, I think scheduling is, is yeah, agreed. That's so, so important. Um, so I've been a solo practitioner with my business for the last seven years. So it's funny, I've been doing this remote working for a while. And now I'm discovering a lot of my friends are doing it for the first time. And I thought it was pretty second nature, but it's not for everybody. And so it does take some time to kind of get into a groove. And I think one of the things that's helped me that I've done through trial and error over the years is just like create a designated space for your work area as best you can. If you have a home office, great. If you can make something, your home office space, a spare bedroom or a um, I, I was even telling somebody like, if you have a quiet laundry room, I don't know, you know, it could be as simple as that, but something separate from your work life as best as you can, especially if you're going to be going on a lot of conference calls, but also to get you in the headspace that I'm going to work. It's just happens to be down the hall and not down the road, but it's, but it is your home office. And so making yourself feel like I'm going somewhere. And this is when I enter this space, I am at work. And, you know, setting up the proper desk and the proper chair and the proper lighting, uh, having the tools you need all around you is really, really helpful. I mean, at first, I think everybody thought it'd be super fun to sit on their couches and their jammies and try to work on their laptops. Personally, I can't work that way because my back hurts. (laughs) It's not comfortable long term. I mean, it just isn't. If you're writing all day and you're hunched over your laptop and you have no back support, it'll kill you. So I always say just, you know, create create a space. That is, that is your designated home office space. Um, just to give you that, that discipline that when I go in here, I'm working and then you can still set aside, like to Amanda's point, have a schedule and you're going to take a break at, at lunch and come out and have lunch with your, with your kids who are in the other room or your spouse or your dog or whatever. Um, and, and maybe you take an afternoon walk to clear your head, but, but having, having some kind of clear boundaries, I think at home really helps. I definitely agree with with those with those sentiments yeah. and and those suggestions. I I think if if there's a silver lining to come out of this, uh, you know, on the professional side, the the technology is is there for many of us to have the flexibility to work home and, and work remotely. And sure, it's great to have everybody in the office and to have that that team atmosphere. But for more remote work options, I think this is you know getting companies more comfortable to how that can look, how that can work. So I see that as as a definite good thing. I mean, we've got networks. I can dial in on the VPN. I've got access to our shared file system. And honestly, I there's less distractions for me at home that can come up in a normal workday. So I I really have time to focus. And and personally, I've had more communication in, in Zoom and FaceTime uh, meetings with family and friends that not because I don't keep in, in good touch with them on a regular basis, but you know we all kind of take it for granted. Well, I'll talk to them when I talk to them, but now everybody's making that effort. We've got a, a virtual happy hour coming up with uh, some of my college friends in another hour. So I'm really looking forward to, to doing that. And so again, I guess if there's a if there's a silver lining all of, out of all of this, it's it's the technology that will bring us together both professionally and and personally. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Before we wrap up and we learn a little more about you and what makes you both tick, last question that I would have, where would you recommend if uh, there are resources where people can go for more information on PR crisis communication? 
You know, one one really great place is since we're talking about the Public Relations Society of America, we would be remiss if we didn't plug our our national organization, PRSA.org. They have an entire section of their website dedicated to COVID-19 related communications. Um, Now, some of this is members only restricted. So if you're not a member, that's a good plug to join. But um, if you're not, some of that is accessible as far as tips in navigating external communications and internal communications. Uh, during COVID-19. And then they do record, they offer free webinars, and then most of them are recorded to listen to later. So that's a great resource um, from PRSA that I would I would definitely recommend. Um, and we've been sharing some of that. So our chapter is WMPRSA.org. So we've been sharing through our Facebook posts, um, a lot of the national um, content relating to crisis communications. Okay. Yeah, I know that we have that available too on our uh, National for American Marketing Association, so AMA.org, and they've got a whole section there for COVID-19 coronavirus resources um, that you can go on to learn more about that as well. And I, I think we actually just got a an email from AMA that um, coming coming up soon, they're going to be discounting the memberships um, just to try to get you know people in, get them involved, get them networking. And if I can say one thing for AMA and PRSA, again, the, the thing that is just invaluable to me since being involved in those organizations is the networking, is you know having this conversation um, with both of you. And on the AMA, there's so many people that we have on our team. We're all connected by Slack. So it's just the, the ability to have those conversations um, with them and reach out to others in our, our community is, is, is just a great asset. Absolutely. That's it's really spot on, Josh. You know, I was really proud of our, our board this week. We had a meeting via Zoom and it was great to see everyone. And one of the things that we talked about is how do we add value to our members during this in an authentic way. But since all our events are are kind of wiped out for uh, the foreseeable future and we're talking about getting together um, using technology with some of our co- cohort groups. So we've done this before where if the group um, who are who've maybe been professionals for zero to 10 years or 10 to 19 years or 20 plus years. They're just things that th- that we have in common when you're in that kind of group. Um, so we're exploring doing some of those um, coming in the coming months and might look at some industry breakouts and things like that. So we're working to get creative um, as a board too. Awesome. Well, and we'll definitely, yeah. put a, we'll, we'll definitely put a link to uh, West Michigan PRSA in our show notes for this podcast as well. So people will have that link and that resource to go through. And uh, if you are not a member of PRSA or AMA, I highly recommend it. And I highly recommend if you join one that you, you bounce back and forth between the events because there's great programming on both sides and you, you really do get a different scope and flavor um, you know, going back and forth between the two. Absolutely. Thank you again for, for taking time to join us today. Before we let you go, we're going to do our ending with why segment. It's a little takeoff of Simon Sinek's starting with why, where we get to learn just a little more about you and your personalities. So first question, what is your why? What makes you tick? And why do you do what you do? Yes, this is a tricky one, but I will say, um, I, um, my firm name is called Blue Blaze Public Relations because I'm a big hiker. So um, a, a blaze is something you see, it's usually blue, but it'll be on a tree or on a, a, a stump um, or a, a, like a post so that you know where your trail is to help lead you along. 
the path. And so that became a metaphor for me of what is public relations, because we are, you know, we are trying to create these markers, if you will, to help guide our organizations kind of through the path to to the end of whatever that destination is or whatever that call to action is. So I think that's my why is that I, I love um, the, the thrill and the challenge of working with organizations to really identify kind of what makes them tick and what what is their essence that they need to share and how do they work with their audiences and how can they have a mutually beneficial relationship. So um, that that's it's just a very rewarding profession to be in. So um, I like I like helping organizations blaze those those trails. As a as a fellow hiker, I, I get the blue blaze reference. So that's awesome, Kim. That's a very cool <laughs> that's a very cool moniker. All right, Amanda, how about you? What makes you tick? Yeah, Kim, I love that so much. That's super cool. Uh, you know, I I am a connector. I've I've always said I'm a connector of people and the dots. And for me, if I can take something that feels like a big, complex topic, break it down, help people understand it, help people navigate through something like that's what makes me feel alive. It's it's those moments, those connections with people in that kind of way. So uh, that and that's really why what it lends itself well to public relations, I would say. Awesome. <laughs> I wish I had a cool story like him, so. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's, it, there are no <laughs> wrong answers here. And, and kind of along the same lines, I'll, I'll ask the same question. Who or what inspires you? I have to say right now I'm inspired by our governor, um, Governor Whitmer. I, I, I really, she's just impressed me with her professionalism and her ability to constantly communicate through tough times and hold her cool. And um, I don't know, I feel like sometimes leaders emerge out of crisis because suddenly they're, they're thrust into a spotlight that they didn't expect to be in quite as frequently. And she definitely is one of those voices that has emerged as kind of a calming professional presence in a, in a difficult time. So like right now, she inspires me. I mean, I might have other people in five months. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this might sound kind of cheesy, but I my my daughter comes to mind, um, Charlie. She's nine, but she is an old soul. And it's been fun the last couple of weeks if she notices I'm, you know, kind of having a tough time with something or just feeling frazzled or something. She always has just the right words. Um, and I think we do that for one another. Um, but it's definitely inspiring to kind of keep focus, keep going and, and uh, be, I don't know, just have a different frame of mind about things. All right, podcasts. Uh, what is your favorite podcast? If you are a podcaster, if you're not, then you could roll into your your favorite book. But we'll take personal, we'll take business related. Um, Kim, we'll start with you. Favorite podcast okay. if you have one. I am new. I, I fully admit that I am behind the curve on this, but I'm fairly new to podcast listening. So I, I can only just tell you what I'm starting on. And it's uh, 1619. It's a New York Times audio series, um, kind of examining the history of American slavery. Not not really very cheery right now. It's a, it's but it's very very good, very in depth and detailed and fascinating. So that's what I'm listening to right now. I love. Well, so this is an easy question to answer. I have so many. Um, I have to shout out to Brains On has always been one of my favorite podcasts for kids. Super fun, super educational. We as a family love listening to it. From a personal perspective, I'm a huge fan of uh, Dear Prudence from Slate. It's uh, always very entertaining and informative and has changed the way that I think about so many situations. Um, 
Yeah, and I always love the good story ones. I, I mean, I would re-listen to S-Town any day. <laughs> yep, that's a good one. And I'll give a shout out because they they continue to just be just the perspective. Um, the Freakonomics podcast, of course, it started with, yeah. with the books, um, but they have a couple recent podcasts that talk about just the the economic ramifications of the the pandemic and how how things may play out. And they just always have such a interesting take on everything. So if you get a chance, I highly recommend those. Okay. Uh, favorite book, personal or pro- professional? Amanda, you're first. Yes. Okay. So my favorite book, and it's because I have a personal connection to it, is called He Plays a Harp. And it's a memoir written by a, one of our WMPRSA board members, actually, my mentor um, and very good friend, Roberta King. It's a memoir about her son and his 17 years of life, um, his living with a disability, his death, and their kind of story afterwards. And why that all sounds very heavy, there's so much heart and humor in this book. And it was cool. Um, I was with Roberta throughout the process of writing it. So it's neat to be able to see something from start to finish in that way. That's awesome. Wow. I, I'm going to have to go find that book. I know Roberta. <laughs> uh, mine is um, the Harry Potter series. I, I just was thinking about what I couldn't pick one, but that whole series to me was so cleverly written, inspiring, metaphorical, way beyond an adult, young adult uh, genre of books. And I, it, it's just lifted me up for many years that I was reading it. So that was, that was it. Just, I loved Good it. One. Okay. Good what one. house would you be from? <laughs> oh gosh. You know, I never did those quizzes because I didn't want to be disappointed. <laughs> I didn't want to be bummed. If I didn't get into Gryffindor, you know, I'd be like, oh man. Okay, you know, so I, if you had your choice, you'd be Gryffindor? Probably. <laughs> you are not the first one in this line of questions to say Harry Potter. We've had that conversation. We've also talked about the fact that there are actually uh, Quidditch clubs, Harry Potter yes. people that get together and play. No, absolutely. I, I work with an organization that, that hosts sports tournaments, and they um, we had a Quidditch match actually come to West Michigan a couple of years ago, for real. So it's Yes, it's like a it's a whole thing you can set up for, like a college club sport. Yeah, it's, it's legit. It totally. Is. Oh boy, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I won't go that far. Last question, based on what you've learned throughout your career, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to others? Amanda, we'll start with you. You know, I think the biggest thing is for me is just always start with listening. Listen more than you talk. Um because you'll find your way. And I think that kind of relates to the conversation that we've had today of maybe fewer messages, more thoughtful reflection and finding where where you should be talking. I I like that. As a talker myself, that's one I have to remind myself (laughs) of on a regular basis. So thank you, Amanda. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Um, I would say don't get too hung up on the perfect job or the perfect career path. especially if you're at the beginning of your career, um, you know, sometimes a career, well, most careers are not linear. I think there's always this assumption that if I don't land the perfect dream job, you know, right as I get into my field, then I've, I'm losing time or I'm going to get behind. Um, but our, our careers go in so many different ways. They go up, they go down, they go sideways. Um, but I feel like you always learn something if you really are open to it, wherever you work, you know, even if it's not the perfect place for you, you learn maybe what not to do, or you, you take something with you. And so I think sometimes we get so worried about having the right career path and it's, things change too. Our society changes, jobs change. 
Um, look at the current state we're in for anyone who's been laid off. I mean, I've been laid off in my career multiple times, and it also gives you a chance to catch your breath and say, wow, I get to choose what I do next. And sometimes really great things can come out of that too. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. Uh, the most unexpected things can really turn you toward the better. Josh, can I add one other thing that I think is really relevant to what we're seeing right now? Um, and it's something that I'm in the process of learning, but sometimes you can be paralyzed by perfection, right? And so with this, with learning new technology and getting things out more quickly, taking a step back from getting it perfect and just getting it going, um, there's value in that. And it's uncomfortable and it's scary, but I think it's also really important to be doing. Amanda, you're you're hitting all my hot topic button, my hot <laughs> button points today, because because yeah, that's definitely one that uh, that I resonate with as well. And there's if I can plug another podcast. If anybody is familiar with Seth Godin, he's got a podcast for Akimbo, and of course uh, yes. Seth is is big in the marketing world. But uh, he has uh, a moniker that he says there's just ship it, which is shipping it without a care, just to get it done and off your plate. And then there's merely shipping it and merely shipping it is just what you said, Amanda. It's realizing that it doesn't have to be perfect to get out. You don't have all the time in the world to do it. You just, you have to get it out and then, and then you can build on it and then you can make it better as time goes on, but don't get hung up on not shipping it out. Yeah, that's great. Love it. Well, thank you guys again for joining us today. We we do appreciate it. Amanda St. Pierre, Director of Advancement Communications at Aquinas College and West Michigan PRSA President. Kim Skeltis, Founder, Blue Blaze Public Relations and West Michigan PRSA President-Elect. If people want to get a hold of you both for more information or to have a follow-up chat, Amanda, how do they reach you? Please find me on LinkedIn. I would love that. Okay. And Kim? Yeah, LinkedIn is great for me as well, or you can email me at kim at blueblazepr.com. Okay, and then Amanda, give us the uh, the West Michigan PRSA website. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, you can find us at wmprsa.org. Thank you guys so much. We do appreciate the time, and uh, let's let's keep our, our heads up and, uh, and and get through this, this crisis together. Sounds good. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Great opportunity to chat with you today. The Marketers in Motion podcast is online at amawestmichigan.org. Subscribe, review, and engage with us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Get engaged. Ask us questions. We want to hear from you. If you want a direct line to our inbox, send us a quick email, podcast at amawestmichigan.org. And don't forget, connect with your nearest AMA chapter by visiting AMA National at AMA.org. They also have many resources for the ongoing developments and uh, marketing communication of the coronavirus and COVID-19. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative, be bold, set your marketing in motion.